I cannot let today go by without, because it's the last day before the 4th of July. Two days, it's the 4th of July. And I want to tell you a couple quick things about 4th of July that you may not have known. Did you know that it's not the day that we declared our independence from Great Britain? Did you know that it is not the day that the Declaration of Independence was signed? That was in August. Did you know that it is not the day that it was delivered to Great Britain? That was in November. This is the day, July 4th, this is the day that the Continental Congress approved the final draft of the Declaration of Independence. It was first declared a federal holiday in 1870. That's almost 100 years after the Declaration was actually signed and after we had become a nation. You know, to maintain our independence takes dedicated men and women, both overseas and here in the U.S. Overseas, we call them our military men, and here we call them our peace officers or police officers, right? Because we have, who knows, we have dissenters to our Constitution that live here in the U.S., right? They want to limit our freedoms here. So we've got two bodies of faithful men and women. We have our military men and women, and we have our police officers. If you are or were a police officer or a military, served in the military, will you please stand so that we can honor you today for what you do for us? Come on. I know there's more of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for giving your lives and the lives of your family so that we could meet here today. Okay, some of you know that Greg and I have a ranch, and we're we're partners in this small boutique herd of registered black Angus. No, we do not eat them. (laughs) Just in case anyone's asking, there will not be a barbecue afterwards. Okay. But I talk about them a lot because they're like my big dogs. I don't have a dog. I have a big dog. And um, the first dog I'm going to introduce you to, or Cal, is Juno. This is Juno. She won the Houston Livestock Show. She is She's our um, smallest cow up until this spring. She was our smallest heifer. Um, the next picture is Lola. This is Lola. She's not from Texas, but she got here as soon as she could. This is 292. 292 is also our swimming cow. She won't cross the dam. She doesn't like to walk on the cement, so she swims through the river whenever she wants to get to the other side. And and this one, she's coming up off the banks with her calf, who they learn right away how to swim with her. Um, This is 909. 909 is like, she's my greatest cow. She thinks I'm one of her. She often will try to get me to be the babysitter. So the babysitter has to watch everybody's cows, everybody's calves, while everybody else goes off and grazes and lounges in the sun, chews their cud, and the babysitter is stuck with it, and she has often tried to leave me in that role. Um, This is 6229. She is um, one of our biggest heifers. She is also um, one of our meanest heifers. We 
Up until this year, we could not turn our backs on 6229 because she'd just take her head and let you fly. Um, she, two of her would equal the weight of a Toyota Camry. She's a big girl. Um, our next picture is um, a guest at our ranch right now. This is LAF Unbelievable 2009. He is visiting our ladies. He has a job that he's going to be completing, we hope. Um, and uh, he weighs just shy, about 300 pounds shy of a Toyota Corolla. Um, he could eventually get to 3,000 pounds. And ladies, aren't you glad we don't vary our weight this great? But he can vary his weight of about 300 pounds on any week-to-week basis. I'd need a new wardrobe. I'm <laughs> okay, whenever we, whenever we have to work our cows, we bring them through a series of square pens. We weren't smart enough to put in funnels. We put in square pens. Actually, they were there when we got the property. And we move them in groups through these small square pens, into an alleyway that leads to this chute. This is the squeeze chute, called such, because it squeezes them once they get inside so they can't move around and get hurt while we're giving them shots, which they hate. They do not like to get a shot. They jump the way that our kids jump, and they see it coming, and their eyes get big. So we try to hide their eyes. They don't know what's happening, but they tell each other while they're in line. Um, and uh, so Greg and our partner, Doc Robert, they really like it when we have to work the cows if I'm there. Because for some reason, I can get the cows to move through these series of three pens to the alleyway into the chute with just a word most of the time. And uh, as you can see, it can get real crowded in um, these square pens and I'm standing inside of them. And this ranch lady right here, she's about the same size as me. So that'll give you, and she's standing next to one of our smallest cows. So it'll give you an idea of the perspective in uh, how the heifer outweighs the ranch lady. Um, so my job is to get inside those cows, in with the cows in the pens, and get them to move through these designated square pens into the alleyway. And sometimes I need help. So what I discovered is when they won't listen to a word, when I can't go, come on, get in there, see them all gathered. Come on, guys, get in. Come on, girls. I get out a pool noodle. Because a pool noodle is gentle. It doesn't hurt them, and they're scared of it. And I can take this pool noodle and whack them with it and goad them into going the way I want. They don't want to be touched by the pool noodle for some reason. And... If I have to split off some of them into the square pens and some back into the pasture, this is a great way to separate them because they won't cross the line of the pool noodle. But if it's really a hot day and, and, they haven't real, and they're tired and they don't, want, they don't want to listen to the pool noodle, sometimes I have a hard time getting them to behave. And so I have the stick. This stick... It's actually from the pens. It is the real stick. Um, I'll show you later. Real stick that I use on the cows. Now, sometimes I can just hold it out like the pool noodle, and sometimes 
I have to poke at their feet to kind of goad them to go the direction I want them to go. See, it's got kind of that sharp, pointed, forked area at the bottom. And sometimes I can put this curved part, this perfect stick, I love the stick, up against their hindquarters and push them along. And sometimes when they're inside the alleyway and they won't go forward, I can use the stick to kind of bump on their back a little bit and get them to go. I don't really like to use that. I'd rather use the pull noodle. And on certain days when they're really mad because it's the second or third day in a row they've been in the pens, come here, Greg. <laughs> we bring out the hot shot. Okay, this gives them a shock, an electrical shock. It is not like a taser. It doesn't take them to their knees. It just goads them along in the direction we need to move them. I don't do several things when it comes to the cows. One of the things I don't do is I don't do ear piercings. I don't do shots, and I don't use the hot stick. So whenever this comes out, and I think it's only been one time while I was there, I leave. Then they're on their own. The doc and Greg can do all they want to the cows, but I'm not going to be there when this goes on. <laughs> and the last thing, these are nose tongs. They open up, and you put this up the nose of a cow or a bull. It has a spring. You shut them. It has a lead on it, and they will follow you anywhere. Now, mostly we use these in the show ring, but occasionally they come in handy when there's a bull on our property and we need to move him and he's not being cooperative. All of these things goad the cow to go in the direction we need them to go. We've been going through a series in Acts, and Pastor Ellen finished up Acts 8 last week. So this week we're going to start on Acts 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. 
For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord. He answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and of all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. <laughs> he got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard it were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lured him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you that uh, we have the freedom to gather here in your name and worship you. We seek you today, and I ask that you would speak to each person's heart which you, what you would have them hear from this text. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a look at, starting with Acts 1. 
Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now we have seen Saul, who we came come to know as Paul later on, we have seen him before in Acts. He was responsible and consented to the, de- the stoning death of Stephen. He was a bad guy when it came to the Christians. He was a great Jewish guy, but not so great to the Christians. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Paul, Saul, learns four things right here. The first thing he learned is Jesus is light. The second thing he learned is Jesus is really God's son. The third thing he learned is that Jesus is alive. And the last thing he learned is that Jesus is living in the ones that he is persecuting, that Saul is persecuting. The verse here at the in 9.5, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. During my research, I found out that this was, is not in all the earlier manuscripts. We think it was added by the translators from Acts 26.14. Can, can you put 26.14 up there? Here it is in the early manuscripts. And when he had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, the goad is a stick that a farmer used to move his oxen when he was plowing them, plowing with the oxen. It's a wooden stick, but at the bottom of it, they would take a piece of metal and run it up the shaft of the wood stick so it stuck out, and they would follow along next to the oxen and use it to prick their heels as they were moving to keep them going moving. We got, we're busy. We got fields to plow here. And we don't have a John Deere. And so poking the, the, the uh, oxen to get it to move, if the ox kicked back against it, it would jab that point right through its ankle. Because contrary to popular belief, cows are not as tough as the leather on your sofa. Their skin is very tender. And the, um, the ox that cooked back against that goad would actually injure itself. It was very painful. Why did God say that to Saul? I think and believe that all along God had been doing things to try to get Saul to to recognize that Jesus was the Christ before now. It is hard for you to kick 
against the goads. He'd been trying to get his attention before we see Saul in this passage. And we're not told why. We're not told how. Well, we know the why, but we're not told how until, well, actually, till never. We just know what happened. Um, maybe he was trying to use Stephen's death while he, they were stoning Stephen. Stephen said, cried out that he saw into heaven. Maybe that was a message for Saul who was standing there consenting to his death and watching the clothes of the men who were stoning Stephen to death. Maybe it was when Stephen said, Lord, forgive them. Maybe that was a goad and was pricking Saul's heart. We don't know. He's responsible for the deaths, imprisonment, and torture of countless Christians. But we don't, but we're, and we don't know what one or how many of those he crossed paths with might have been used by the Holy Spirit to draw him to Jesus. Continuing with verse 6. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do, you want, what do you want me to do? And then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Notice that Saul's response to God is willingness to do what Jesus wants him to do. He doesn't say, what do you want? He says, what do you want me to do? Right? What do you want me to do? And he doesn't ask a million questions like, um, who's going to tell me what I'm supposed to do? When's it going to happen? How long before this takes place? No. He just says, what do you want me to do? You know, he hasn't gone up, gotten up from the ground yet. He's still laying on his face, and I don't think he knows he's blind yet. He's in the presence of God, and he's submitted. Verse 7 says, And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul rose from the ground, and, his, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Now he knows he's blind. Is it possible that the light of Jesus was so bright, kind of like us looking at the sun or getting a flash in our eyes when a picture is taken, that that's all he could see was the bright white light of Jesus reflected in his eyes. We don't know that either, but I wonder if that's what happened to him. Acts 9, 9, he was three days without sight and either ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Notice that Ananias had a vision within a vision. He had a vision of what God was telling him to do, but he also had a vision of what God was telling Saul what was getting ready to happen to him through Ananias' visit. I think there's, a, there's some real power in that. 
And then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done in your saint, to your saints in Jerusalem. And here, he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. I think it's interesting that he's told Saul, uh, God has told Ananias through Saul, that he's not, he's not going to get saved and live this glorious, rich, fantastic, wonderfully happy, ecstatic life. He is going to suffer for Christ's name. And I think sometimes as Christians today, we get it wrong. It's not about that our trials and persecutions are over when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but our response changes. We're no longer bound to, oh, why me? This is horrible. We are like, okay, Lord, what are you trying to show me? Right? What did he say here? He said, um, Lord, what do you want me to do? Our response should be, Lord, what do you want me to do? Right? Could be a goad. Right? Do we see that? So, I think Ananias, um, it says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I think Ananias is a hero. He, he could have run away. Remember Jonah and the whale? And Jonah ran away from what God was telling him to go do because he didn't want to die. He was afraid people would kill him. Well, he, Ananias knows that this guy's already put to death many Christians. He has a reputation that far exceeds him. You know, bad news travels, right? Way faster than good news. They, he tells God, Ananias tells God, hey, this guy's got letters. I don't know if you knew about it, but he's got letters from Jerusalem authorizing Saul, authorizing him to go arrest people. You know this God? Bad news travels fast. They didn't have a telephone or a newspaper, but the bad news of Saul's arrival traveled fast in that Christian community. And Ananias believed God and trusted him and went directly in to where God told him to go, facing a possible death. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And so when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. I think it's interesting that he got baptized before he ate. Okay, I could make a joke here about, you know, swimming on a full stomach. But we're trying to be holy up here. <laughs> Immediately, he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Then... Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? 
But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. So he, uh, he had a changed life on that road to Damascus. And he had proof that Jesus was the Christ. Well, where did he get the proof? Well, guess what? We have it too. We call it the Old Testament. It was actually the First Testament. And that's where the proof lay that Jesus was the Son of God. And at the time that Jesus blinded Saul, and he spent three days fasting, remember, neither food nor drink, but praying, he was praying. What was he doing? Recounting in his head everything his Jewish training had taught him, all of the scripture that he had memorized in his head, probably the entire Torah, the first five books of the Bible, all in here. He was probably going through them and looking for the evidence of who was this Jesus. And it was all right there. Can you imagine how he felt that he hadn't seen it before? That at that point, while he was blind, his eyes were spiritually opened. Right? Because it's all there. Hundreds of prophecies. And I'm not a mathematician, but if all of them came true, then we could drop a we could drop the Encyclopedia Britannica on paper from outer space and it would land in a perfect stack in order. That's those are the odds of all those hundreds of prophecies being true. Um He went from being a murderous, anti-Christian zealot to a Jesus lover and a preacher. I only know a few people whose life changed overnight after they had an encounter with Jesus. And maybe you're the same as me. That didn't happen to me. Most of us, it's a slow process. We kind of get ushered along, goaded along by the Lord, right? We don't have that overnight experience, but I have a friend who had that experience. Um, this is, we have a picture of Terry. This is my, our friend Terry and his wife seated next to him, Luann, and his mother behind him, Roseanne. Now, I've known Luann since 1980. She's probably the person I've been friends with for the longest. And Terry has been our friend since 1991 when he married Luann. They lived in Oregon. Um, a few years ago, in 2013, Luann passed away, and Terry um, had taken care of her along with his mother, Roseanne, and he was transporting his mom from Oregon back to her home in Florida via, via Texas because they were going to stop and see us. And they spent a couple of days with us at our house Friday and Saturday where all we did was talk about the Scripture and the Lord. And... Then they came here on Sunday morning and uh, Shake led worship and Pastor Allen delivered a message. And I, and I don't remember the exact message on that day in, in 2014 when they crossed through here. But the culmination of that was after they left, that night they phoned us from the road and told us that they had decided that Jesus was the only way and that they intended to follow him from that point forward. And, and Terry was serious 
He wanted to find a church that was just like ours, that had music just like Shake played, that had preaching just like Pastor Allen preached, and that would impact him every time he walked in. And he found a church just like that, and it, and it ministered to him. And he knew that he wanted, <laughs> and he knew, he knew that there were certain things Jesus was calling him to do. He believed that Jesus was calling him to serve the homeless. So there wasn't anything like that in his church, so we found another guy, and they started going out and ministering to the homeless people just themselves, and it grew bigger. And he found a place that actually served meals once a week. So he went there and he served a meal, got to meet even more homeless people. And they had needs nobody was filling. Like in the summer in Florida, you need bug spray, right? I mean, yellow flies, ask Greg. Look at his legs, they're all scarred up. (laughs) Yellow flies, all the bugs that they have. And so Terry, with his own funds, would look, search the Internet for deals on bug spray and spray down his... Give, give all the homeless people bug spray. Help them spray down. And in the winter, it's cold. You wouldn't think Florida would be cold, but in the panhandle, it's super cold. He bought them hats and gloves. And I think by the time, uh, by the end of this past winter, he had delivered 22 sleeping bags to homeless people that had no bedding. He, he, his life was changed. It was different. He served the nursing home people, and the people who were housebound. There was no program. There was nothing in place. Terry just said, well, you know, somebody needs to go see these people. So he grabbed another guy, and some other people joined in. And before you knew it, they were going house to house, visiting people who couldn't make it to church on Sunday, just visiting, praying with them, spending time with them. And uh, one of the things I thought was really cool is that he went to prayer meeting every week. And sometimes his pastor told me it was just him and Terry a lot of times for prayer, but he faithfully went. And every night he had a ritual since that night he called us that he would kneel down next to his bed and pray every night, say prayers before he got into bed. And that's where they found him on May 5th when at the age of 66 he passed away unexpectedly. And his life, was a light like Paul's. His life changed by knowing Jesus. You know, some of us, we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, and then we go get baptized, and then we come on Sunday. But our life isn't marked by change. Our life is, day to day, still looks like how we were before. Now, I think that sometimes... God tries to get our attention, and that's when we talked about what happened with Saul, that he'd been goaded. We don't know how, but God had been trying to get his attention. And maybe he was doing it with a word, the way that I like to do the cows. Just, come on, get in the pen. Let's go. Come on, girls. And I move them from pen to pen with just my words. And some days, maybe God has a soft stick he has to nudge you with to get you to move? Is he goading you right now? Has he been goading you to give something up in your life? To make a change? Has he been using a soft stick like I like to use with the cows? And maybe sometimes 
you feel like God has hit you with a bigger stick, a more heavy stick, something that's rough and hard to handle. You know, you weren't promised being happy every day, but you were, prom- you were promised, just like I was, that we could have a change in our attitude if we would just yield to his direction. And then for some of us, I know I've had this happen to me, it takes the hot shot. You have to have something really bad happen in your life or in the life of somebody you love, something really miraculous, unbelievable, can't be anything else, hot shot, to know that God is trying to move you from where you were to where he needs you to be so that you can fulfill the plan and the destiny that he has for you, right? So I believe that today there are people in here, because I know I'm one of them, that know that God's calling them to make a change. It might be something you need to give up. It might be something that you need to step into, something you've been afraid of doing in the kingdom. You know, there are more people in a church, the the statistics are 20% of the people do 80% of the volunteering in a church or any kind of volunteer organization. We have a different church. We have a church that gives when there's a need. We have seen the generosity of generations' people over and over again. And I believe that we can give up our time. So maybe all that God's calling you to do is give some more of your time. But to give that time, you've got to give up something else. And you really like the something else. I've been there. Really like the something else, and you don't want to give it up. But you have to, if you're going to walk into the destiny that God has for you, you've got to give that up so you free up the time that's necessary to work in the kingdom. I believe that we can be a church that turns that statistic on its head, that we have 80% of our people involved in 100% of the work, both in church and in the parachurch ministries that we're involved in, like the detention center juvenile detention center and the prison ministry, I believe that we have, you've already proven how generous generous you are. Maybe God is calling you to give up that time. Maybe he's calling you to make a change for the first time. Maybe you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but it's, you feel like, wow, I would like to know this man. Wow, I want that change in my life. I want to live for something that's bigger than me. I want to live to make a change, not just in my life, but in the children that I maybe haven't even had yet. And if that's you today, then God's calling you out. He's goading you. If you feel that in your heart and you're thinking it in your head, right now there should be fear coming on some people because they know I'm going to ask you to stand up, and and I am going to ask you all to stand up. And when I ask you to stand up, I want you to put fear behind you. Don't let fear hold you back from declaring the change that you want to see happen in your life. Don't let it stop you. So, with that said, stand up, please. 
And don't let, don't let, uh, don't walk out of here the same as when you walked in. Make a decision that today will be the day that you declare in your life that things are going to be different. You know, sometimes we can say in our head, oh, I'm going to do this one day, and we never tell anybody. So, you know, we really don't have to do it because nobody knows except me and God. But once you make a declaration in public, and I'm not going to ask you to speak, so take take a deep breath and let it out. But I'm going to ask you to do something. If that's you, if I'm talking to you today, if God is talking to you, and he's used a goad on you, what I'd like you to do is step into the aisle. Just step in the aisle. You're not going to have to come up front. Just step into the aisle out of where you can step forward. And I know there are people in here that know that God's been calling them to get involved in ministry, has been calling them to get involved in um, maybe with our youth or with our children, with our nursery, but calling us, calling you to get involved on the with the worship team. Maybe it's somebody who knows how to run sound or do projection. You know, maybe it's one of the parachurch ministries and God's been calling you. Step into the aisle. Maybe God's calling you because there's something in your life that's taking up space that you need to get rid of. You already know what it is. You don't need me to tell you. You don't need anyone to tell you what it is. Step into the aisle. Just step out. Just yield to him. Just yield to what he wants to do in your life today. Let there be a change. Walk out of here different. Don't stay the same. Don't walk out today and let every day just it be another day for you. Let it be different. Step into the aisle. Step into the aisle. Just yield to him. Nobody's going to ask you to do anything. You're not going to dance. What I'm going to have you do is take one step forward. That's all we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to together pray and we're going to together take one step forward. I know God is calling me to do something. And I'm standing here. And the reason I'm standing here with you is because I know he is calling me to do something. And by my standing here, I'm declaring not only to myself, but to you, that I'm going to do it. It's, my, it's the direction I want to go because it's God's direction. And so... Bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for today. I thank you that we have the freedom to meet in this place and declare your name as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the name above every other name, anything we've ever heard uttered, both in heaven and in earth. Lord, I ask and pray right now in the name of Jesus that you who know every hair on our head, who numbered every star in the sky, yet wrote our name on your hand, Lord, hear our petition and hear our cries, Lord. Change us. We, we are standing in this aisle knowing that we don't want to be the same when we walk out of here today, that we want that fresh new start. So we stand here. We yield to you, Lord, as we take this giant step in, a faith, in faith, in declaration, that we are following what you want for us, Father God. We thank you, Lord, that you are faithful and true and that we can trust you in every way. We thank you for goading us, Lord. Let us not take the hot shot for us to go in the direction you want us to go. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Please take your step forward. In in faith, take a step forward. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we are taking one step at a time following you. Lord, being focused on what you have for us. 
being focused on our future, but more importantly, the future of the kingdom of God here on earth, that we are a part of it, that you have anointed us to be a part of it, not to sit back just on Sundays, but to live our life every day. Thank you, Father, that we can say, yes, here I am. What do you want me to do?